0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Jerry Will Show. We have a special guest for you this time, as usual, remarkable people throughout the world. And this is no exception. Our guest this evening is Jim Garrow. Um, He was runner up for a Nobel Peace Prize in 2009, which was, of course, awarded to Barack Obama. I can't really tell you why that would be. Dr. Garros uh, personally spent tens of millions of dollars to save tens of thousands of little Chinese girls from the notorious genocide, gender side really, created by that country's one-child mandate. He's the executive director of the Bethune Institute in Canada and is in charge of a network of private English immersion schools for children of the Chinese elite. It was these schools that served as the launch pad for the Pink Pagoda campaign where Garrow works, risking his life and those of his employees to help facilitate adoptions of young girls to families across the world. He is the proud father of four, the husband of one long-suffering wife, 35 years, and a lifetime educator. His career has run the gamut from classroom teacher to college president. Garrow has taught in Canada, Great Britain, the United States, and China. And ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you To Jim Garrow. Hello, Jim. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you, sir. Happy to be here.
0: The the introduction, of course, is just a thumbnail sketch of you and your life and everything that's going on. Um, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories, and in our conversations previously, you and I talked about your friendship with a fellow of some prestige, President Donald Trump. And I, I find that just remarkable. I've always thought he was an incredible person. And um, I'm sure we'd like to get into some of that as well. But to begin with, why don't we talk about this project of yours, Um the Pink Pagoda Project. How did that come to pass? I mean, what, what, what occurred that uh, brought you to a point where you started doing something?
1: Well, uh, as you know, I have schools uh, that I operate in China. Uh, and the very first one that we started was in the city of Shenzhen, right across the border from Hong Kong. And uh, we... It, immediately got a large staff Uh, lots of people wanted to work with us we were offering the Ontario secondary school diploma uh, officially from Canada so that Chinese kids could actually get that diploma and that would allow them entrance into Harvard, Yale, Purdue, Vanderbilt uh, Edinburgh University, London, University of Toronto the major universities of the world regarded that the Ontario secondary school diploma with high regard so we were able to uh, set up uh, classrooms uh, in schools uh, coordinated by the local Chinese authorities. And they were glad to have us there. We were welcomed uh, with open arms. And uh, during, uh, I guess, uh, during the time when I was beginning to set up the schools, I hired a young lady named Xin Yi Yi. And Xin Yi Uh, was uh, remarkable, wonderful, excellent in English, uh, just one of those people who take charge and uh, coordinate everything and never a flaw. One day she came into the office and she sat down and she started bawling, like crying like you wouldn't believe. And that wasn't her. She was, you know, the life of the party, just wonderful, wonderful. Uh, So this was totally abnormal, and, you know, everyone was like, whoa, what's going on here? Well, it turned out, you know, once we got her settled down and calmed down, that uh, her sister had called her and said that um, the husband um, was considering uh, snuffing out the life of the little girl that they just had, like, that week. And uh, because of the preference for males uh, in China. So that shocked the life out of me. And I said, well, what can we do to help? I mean, I'll do anything. I'll I'll go meet the guy, whatever it takes. So um, we arranged to fly halfway across China and meet with this gentleman and convince him uh, that we would take the child and uh, that way, uh there was no murder on our consciences or, or the uh, uh, the aunt's conscience. So they gave us the child. I couldn't believe it. I basically had to buy the child. I'm yeah, just putting that out right right away because there were people out uh, in the environs who would find out what I did. And they'd basically say, all you're doing is probably trafficking children. Well, that was not the case at all. Uh, And we were spending our own money. We were not uh, bringing any money in, Uh, even with the adoption process. uh, We paid for all the expenses. That way we could control everything, including the communications flow, um, which was uh, very important to China, to make sure that you had control of all the information going out. Otherwise, you know, you could end up dead. Uh, You know, the bottom line, you could end up dead. Uh, quite easily, so uh, with that one uh, rescue, bringing the girl back uh, to Shenzhen, of course the staff, my staff, knew all about this going on, and pretty soon someone else came along, knocked on my office door, and said, "Well, we know what you've done for Shiny. Uh, my family's in the same situation. You know, my sister, and or you know, whoever." Uh, So uh, it was a deluge of people. Very soon, this stream just became uh, a hawser of uh, a large fire hose of people. Um, So one led to the other, to the other, to the other. And pretty soon, we had to uh, create an organization that could take care of the many thousands uh, that ended up coming. Um, Because this was a a problem uh, in a country of... of, uh, Billions of people um, and uh, this preference for having boys and setting aside. That was the term they used to set aside a girl. Um, And their their religious beliefs were not as ours are of, of, you know, one life uh, uh, in their minds. Uh, If you snuff out uh, the life of a little girl, she would come back in a better iteration in another life. That was part of their belief. So the, um, the struggle uh, for us to, you know, match understandings of reality uh, lent itself to conflict on some uh, hands and, and on others. It would be uh, agreement, um, the difference between the communist thinking and ours. You know, I was coming from Canada, having been educated in uh, the United States and Canada, you know, having gone out of school, uh, high school and uh, in uh, university as well, um, very different thinking, and that took a bit uh, to adjust to. But uh, yeah, so we took the one child, and then pretty soon, and now we're we're over one hundred and fifty thousand children. Wow. That's where we're at now. Uh, these many years later, you know, a lot how, of money. How
0: how old was the first child?
1: Oh. Uh, Two weeks when we got her?
0: Really? That young? Wow. And yes. how, yeah,
1: we, how? Yeah, we tried to interview as quickly as possible.
0: Was, was this the first child for this lady?
1: Yes. Yeah, it was. But they were hoping for a boy.
0: Good heavens. Yeah. 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 That, that just contradicts everything that we know is being right. How old was she? Do you remember? I think
1: it was around 20, 25, maybe. The mom you're talking about the mother yeah know, around 25
0: my god sounded
1: right yeah you know? he was an executive I mean he was uh they were very wealthy um, by Chinese standards um, and well educated and you know it was a surprise to see when I actually got to the apartment of these people it was a real surprise to see the opulence you know the front entrance of this apartment you know with the concierge on their floor and you know all of the the trappings of wealth sure it just didn't. It didn't compute.
0: So, how does this typically handle then? I mean, it, they have a baby girl. Do they just mm-hmm. take them at the hospital and euthanize them? I mean, they take them home and get you a know, notice. You've got a girl, so you're going to have to euthanize this baby. I mean, how does it work?
1: Many different ways. You know, in the end, uh, it'll end up being the father probably snuffing the child.
0: Otherwise, what happens?
1: Well, they, if for, you mean if it's a girl, then they continue to have keep the girl? Well, that's a choice, you know, they, they, but that's not a problem then. But uh, generally, there's pressure on them uh, because there are more girls at the time. There were many more girls being born than boys in China, and the imbalance of the population was causing conniptions, you know the minds of those prognosticators who knew where it would end up uh, you know for the whole society so uh, instead they started this process of of a one child policy that's Mao who started that and of course that made uh, many people make a choice that ended up with the whole society uh, out of balance again in the other direction so there were many more males who would have no chance of uh, finding a mate, because the the girl population was was going down.
0: Wow. That probably is an unrelated question I have about this, but I I was just watching on uh, a news report that there are so many, um, I guess you'd say young men, young compared to me, (laughs) uh, that are coming across the border illegally, and you know, I mean, I never had considered it until now. But maybe the reason they're doing that is because there are no women there really to choose from.
1: Well, isn't that interesting? When you're looking at South America and Central America and Mexico, um, you really are seeing a, an out of whack population where it is just all men. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's something else. Well, you we might have even run into that in your travels in Peru and and environs.
0: You know, I have. Um, it seems like the uh, the girls, well, in some of the more remote places that we've been, um, the girls seem to be at higher risk uh, for living, you know, past you know, up until let's say uh, five, six years old, uh, mm. because of lack of nutrition or disease, whatever. But I, I know there's no practice there specifically for euthanizing girls. Uh, I think, that, as a matter of fact, I believe they would feel that quite abhorrent. Um, but yeah, I just thought, well, isn't it peculiar? Because you know, a lot of folks are saying that the Chinese are coming over here because they're military age and fill in the blanks. There's all kinds of reasons a person could just cogitate. I don't think anyone's approached it from the concept that there are so few women that you know, maybe they're going to these third world countries like, well, you know, all through Latin America and South America because at least they have some possibility there. And of course, the United States being in a much higher uh, potential for income and technology, you know, they would want to come here as well just because of that. I never considered that before.
1: Can I posit something for you?
0: Absolutely. Go ahead.
1: In, you know, thinking along this in this regard, um, how do you change a society? What do you need to change a society? You need people who are thinking along certain lines. So they invade our countries, North America, with their people. And then they have influence at all levels of society because they're coming in. Some are university people. Uh, some are uh, going to go into jobs, regular regular jobs, but for the most part, they're very, very intelligent people, and they come with a mission. And the mission is to, as much as possible, inculcate communist values at every turn to the people they meet.
0: Oh, do you believe that's something that's happening? I mean, it sounds like you are in that inclination.
1: Yes, and uh, because I've sat with, with many people uh, who wanted to come to North America and wanted my aid in doing that. And we talk philosophy. Well, you'd be surprised what would come out when they're trying to impress you. Well, <laughs> and yeah. thinking immediately that because you're working in China, you must somehow have been you know, in, in uh, league with the communist way of thinking.
0: Oh, and probably I
1: see. even the pattern of behavior in terms of uh, bringing people into North America
0: I see well that's I really hadn't given that any thought either you know I I, I am
1: I'm, before before you say the words conspiracy theory <laughs> uh, when you're in when you're in the context with the people, and they're trusting you because you are the one who's going to deliver their children into universities in North America. Right. You're going to give them futures that they have only dreamed about in China. And uh, because you're in that position of, of uh, advantage, but also it's a position of great trust. Mm-hmm. The things they'll say to you, they won't say to other people.
0: Wow. Well, you've had an inside track on this. Of you know, the schools that you've uh, created in China and the people that you've met, quite vast and varied, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I never really gave it much thought. You know, a lot of people, the common person, perhaps the common person watching this program, they tend to migrate around a rather small nucleus of information <clears throat> that they they get from other places on the Internet. They see things happening, and they come up with their own concept of these things. And then, you know, if, if it all seems to be in agreement with their own personal beliefs, then they're going to come up with an idea of, of what's actually going on. And this is where the great divide is, I believe, between people these days. You know, most folks that I talk to are just quite worried that the folks from China are coming here, you know, masquerading as uh, migrants Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just um, trying to get here until they get the phone call that says, okay, it's time to do whatever it is you went there to do. And a lot of people are thinking this way.
1: I would agree with them, and I'll tell you how easy it is to... get. Cut through the fog. All right. You asked the one question. How did they get a visa to leave China?
0: Well, it's come up. You know, I've I've done some reading. I I have no practical experience with this at all. But as my uh, information has gathered, and it seems to me the only way you leave China is with permission. And the only reason Mm -hmm. you get permission is if you have a job to do.
1: Exactly.
0: Emission. Emission. Exactly. And you know, with that in mind, it, it sounds very frightening, really. Uh, it, it it sounds as though we're on the verge of something quite ugly. Especially when you take into context or into consideration rather, the um you know, the illicit lab that was found in um northern california i don't recall the name of the little the little town there at the moment but um my god they had hundreds of dead uh mice or rats that were infected with things like bubonic plague and covid and a whole list of other things a litany of things And uh, some people say, well, that's just a one-off. And, and my opinion is, no, I think that is the, the tip of the iceberg. It's much larger and it's spread throughout this country at this point. Yes. Do you do you believe that's even possible?
1: I know how certain it is. And the certainty in, in my mind comes from, let's talk about Wuhan, the All Wuhan right. Institute of Virology. I had... Uh, in my TDM, you now it sounds like tedium, you know, as, as if uh, you were being bored in your, your task. So Tedium language, foreign language school, mm-hmm. uh, we had four floors of one of these large high-rise buildings, four floors. We had thousands of students from Wuhan. Many of them, their parents were working at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They talked about the tasking mm-hmm. Uh, that their parents, the scientists, had been given and where it was going. They freely talked among themselves about the mission that their parents were uh, in the building blocks of and where these diseases were going to be transmitted to and why. Now, I took that information and I went to the American Embassy in Beijing. Mm-hmm. and I told the folks there including the um, ambassador for the United States and the trade commissioner uh, for the United States that this was their purpose they laughed me out seriously they laughed me to scorn
0: they had you had overheard these conversations where they had targeted places they were going to take this and...
1: That was what the kids were talking about. We we would entertain in class a scenario, and that was part of you know the learning exercise. Now sure. take this to the extreme. Now your mom and dad, your mom and dad work in the lab at the virology lab. Let's suppose that they're creating a disease. Now, why are they creating a disease? Oh, my, my mom, my mom's working on SARS. She's working on SARS. And, and and another kid puts up his hand. You know, these teachers are coming to me freaking out about this well, and, they, and they're coming saying well you know they're working on this aspect of it and the kids are smart and they're they're trying to impress in English to these English language teachers how knowledgeable they are of what's going on and the kind of secret stuff at the lab and they want to they want to fully you know inform in terms of prestige it was great they were getting lots of listen to you know right but the message was a nightmare. And we took that seriously. Uh, we took it to, in, in another school in Chongqing, that uh, later on we had opened that school. We had the same message from the kids in Chongqing. Chongqing's the largest city in the world. And you, you've never heard of it, probably.
0: No, I've never heard of it.
1: Yeah. 35 million people in Good one man. city. Wow. Mexico was at 31 million people, the largest in the world. Mm-hmm. But Chongqing at that time uh, was the largest city in the world. We had, uh, Chongqing. we had four m- massive schools uh, operating, you know teaching thousands and thousands of kids the English language and uh, opening up the door to come uh, for university or college uh, in the United States and Canada, Great Britain and Australia, the major you know, English language countries. Of the world, so. But the things we heard, the thinking that was going on. Once, once the children got to like you and accept you and look at you not as enemy, but as you know, being professors, we were we were once, we were people who were setting up a great future for them by training them well and to succeed, mm, and being sure. hard on them. In the Chinese sense, you know, which meant that our standard was very high, uh, unlike you know some of the schools we have on the continent, or our, our own continent. Um, so they were they were most open to chatting about what they heard and what they knew.
0: So how how, uh, what year was that? You know, how how soon or how far before? this whole pandemic in 2020.
1: Okay. uh, Well, (laughs) 2000.
0: 2000?
1: 2000. We knew about a lot of this stuff decades before it ever transpired.
0: That just gives me a moment to just take a breath. That kind of forward thinking is is diabolical, really. With, you know, thinking you're going to release some kind of bad thing on the world. I mean, didn't they have any contingency plan to protect themselves?
1: Well, remember where SARS got loose first. And remember, all of this is SARS-based. Yeah. SARS, you know, COVID-19, Omicron. You know, all of the variants are right. from this original. Uh, so they hit, they hit the winning formula, and they just uh, worked on it. Uh, there was some spread, and, and the whole, you know, the, the, the fiction of the, the, the fish market, uh, you know, just, I mean, I think somebody from our side of the pond thought that up, because over there, it's ridiculous, right. absolutely ridiculous. But the intent was there, always. <clears throat> That this would be weaponized and be a be a way to bring the and here's the here's the critical element they wanted to bring the economy of the United States uh, to its knees. It was always about ruining the economy because if you can ruin the economy, the military might then becomes a little (laughs) iffy uh, because the will isn't there now to go and deal with enemies. It's let's survive from day to day.
0: I see. Yeah, well, it's a very good point. And, you know, when everything shut down, there there was so much madness about all of this. Um, I, I really wasn't sure, personally, you know, what the hell was going on. But you know, when all this was announced, everybody stay home, um, pretty much a shutdown of everything. I was wondering, what are the homeless people doing Because they're really a pretty good gauge of things. So Kathy and I went down. uh, We were staying in a remote part of Arizona. And we went down to Phoenix. uh, Having been in Phoenix since 1980, it's a long time. I know where all the homeless people congregate, corners they're on, and so forth. We got in the Jeep. We went down there. And, you know, I'm expecting to see... Bodies on the side of the road, really. I was prepared emotionally for that. Because they were portraying it as such a terrific, awful thing. Um, So, went down there. Well, there are dozens and dozens of homeless. All through little signs, you know. Help, please. Whatever help, you can, helps. But they were all over the place. There were no cars. They were sort of milling about. And when they saw us... They got excited and looked up, and several of them came over. Well, I said, any of you folks getting sick from this uh, COVID thing? No. Uh, I asked them how they were doing. They were doing fine or just hungry. But the shelters were closing down, so they didn't really have any facilities or you know, things they needed in order to really survive better and I thought, you know, there's something really fishy going on here with all of this not that I doubted that there was this virus that had been released because I was quite sure that something had been released, Kathy and I got this in December before it was ever in the news in 2019 Mm -hmm. sick as hell for like three months Mm -hmm. Um, I, I finally figured out a combination of things uh, that would help us to get better, plus our own natural immunity, and we kicked it. Uh, but then, you know, everybody is uh, going vaccination crazy and mask crazy, and, mm-hmm. and we've kind of gotten off on a tangent with all this. But, um, yeah, I just find it absolutely fascinating that you were hearing about this in, in 2000.
1: You, you would not believe... Um, oh I, I should point out something you're talking to the one of the only people you'll ever ever see or look at who has actually been in the Wuhan Institute of virology and I've been in the labs I've been in these are proud parents showing the guy who's going to make the future for their kids possible uh, out of respect uh, where they work and what they're working on and you know, it, later on, of course, everything was shut down. There was no entrance to anyone, anywhere near. And they had the guard posts and up the streets, both directions, up the hill, down the hill. Yeah.
0: And we also heard that they'd release this on their own population in order to test its efficacy. Is there any truth to that?
1: No, it was It was never intended that that would happen, but it did. And that happened from one lab uh, worker uh, getting... Uh, infected. Um, who knows what the accident was? I, I don't know that detail. Sure, but they you do. Know, they they know the ground zero person. They know who that was. They knew how it spread through the family. They knew wow. how one of the family members got on a plane and went to Chongqing. Next thing you know, you got a pattern starting across China, and you can see. You know, of course, they're as smart as as we are in terms of uh, the health. Uh, uh, direction of the whole country because they they got it all organized better than we do. Um, so as much as we could track where the first people came, um, in the end, what happened was when it hit North America, it hit. Uh, and I think you know about the major the eight major centers that suddenly, within a week of each other, you know, just kind of hopscotched San Francisco over to Vegas. And then, you know, boom, 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 Chicago, boom, boom, all the way over to New York, and then, right. um, but you could track where these Chinese, fifty Chinese people, took the disease.
0: No, did they take this as a means of intentionally doing it? Yes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment. Subscriptions and your comments cost nothing, but it really helps us out a lot. To hear the entire interview you were just listening to, and many, many other amazing interviews within our archives, please visit JerryWillsShow.com and become a member. Your membership supports our ongoing broadcasts. That's JerryWillsShow.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program.